Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to Cracking Addiction. And once again, we have the good Laura Petrocek with us. Good morning, Laura. How are you? Good, Fergal. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. So, Laura, you're, you're the resident expert on dialectical behavioral therapy as it applies to addictions. Um, and I just wanted to, to uh, go back to your book and a line in your book that I, that's really the first chapter heading, which is pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. What does that mean? And how can you apply that to life? Okay. Well, what it means is specifically in DBT, um, they talk about pain being what the incident is or issue is. So let's say, um, you know, the issue is, uh, let's do a little extreme. Let's say as an, a parent, your adult child says they don't want to talk to you for a few months. Okay. Um, suffering is optional is, you know, can you accept that for now? Can you practice acceptance? Can you practice uh, meditation? Interpersonal effectiveness with other people, since your adult child doesn't want to speak with you right now or for the next few months. Um, mm. But the suffering would be to go over and over it with yourself. What did I do wrong? Oh, I'm such a terrible parent. No wonder they don't talk to me. Those are the arrows that I speak about mm. in the book. Or it could be going to the brick wall, you know, going to your child doesn't want to talk to you. What did I do? How can I make it up? Why don't you talk to me? That's mm. also causing causing unnecessary suffering. So the pain is inevitable is, is life. You know, things yeah. are going to happen. But suffering is optional. I mean, that when I heard that line, because I've heard that in AA for years, yeah. but the how to not suffer always eluded me. Okay, what? so then what? I, I they didn't really yeah. have any answers except pause, which, I mean, you know, is a little helpful, but DBT gives many skills as to how not to suffer. And, yeah, it's, uh, a, it's, yeah. A, it's a great example of, of a theory that sounds great, but then how do you put it into practice? You know, mm -hmm. you know what, what do you actually do in your own personal circumstance? And I suppose that's that's one of the reasons why, you know, psychologists are such experts in helping the individual put into practice and give a, a real uh, person-centered approach to a, a theory and a principle. And another reflection that I've got from what you've just said is when I, when I think of that line, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. For me, suffering comes from maladaptive coping strategies. So, so really, what I what I read from that line and from what I hear from you is that the suffering comes from maladaptive coping strategies, and therefore it's optional if you learn to cope better with with the pain. Is that is that a a fair reflection, or is it is it erroneous? No, I think that's a fair reflection. Um, I'm curious. Can you give me an example of what a maladaptive response would be? that well, better coping skill would help lessen that? Well, apart from the ones that you've already given, so like banging your head against a brick wall, why me? What have I done? It's all my fault. What can I do to repair the relationship immediately? I need to go there with a bowl of soup because my, my adult son has ignored me. Apart from um, 
you know, resorting to drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I always use that example as a maladaptive coping strategy oh, because I am an alcohol drug and alcohol specialist. Um, you know, apart from, you know, wallowing in self-doubt, guilt, wanting, anticipation, you know, uh, these are uh, these are examples of maladaptive coping strategies. And I suppose another um, another way that I conceptualized the concept of optional suffering is I, I love mnemonics and my mnemonic for this is wart. So wanting, anticipating, re-experiencing and T for uh, trying too hard. Uh-huh. So, you know, when, when you want a different outcome in life, uh-huh. right? when you anticipate in your mind what's going to happen, you know, when you do catastrophizing, you know, when you're doing worst case scenario, when you're re-experiencing or when you ruminate or when you're trying to materially uh, you know, uh, try for a different outcome. Right. Right. Yeah. By playing it so, over the scenario in your head. Yeah. So, so, so for me, those are the underlying principles of of unnecessary suffering, because you know we we all have necessary suffering, or or rather, sorry, I beg your pardon. Maybe it's better to say we all have a necessary pain in our lives. So, for instance, we cannot avoid the pain of growing old, the pain of getting ill, the pain of separation, and and the pain of bereavement. So those are necessary pains, but how we react to those exactly. perhaps is the space of unnecessary suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you're, um, you're well, an acronym lover like Dr. Linehan. She loves acronyms. <laughs> but I like yeah, that. I, I haven't heard that one, warts. That's I came good... like, well, that that's the one that I came up with when I was reading an article on un- unnecessary suffering, and so I came up with that ah, myself. Because like a wart that. is an unnecessary suffering, isn't it? That's how I remember yes. it. But ah. you can have that. You, I, I gave this to the great collective, the great Jungian collective on consciousness, and I give it to you. And let it, <laughs> let me hope that it that it that it grows into something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Um, no, I like that one. That would be a good one to use. Do you use that with clients, I imagine, then? Um, yeah. So yeah. is there anything else that we you feel that we should say about unnecessary suffering? Um, well, I, again, I really like this acronym and what it stands for, because all of these attitudes or behaviors are unnecessary suffering. Hmm. Um, I think also, in addition to ruminating about it, that causes unnecessary suffering, talking to like 20 different people about it. You know, did you know my son's not talking to me? And and just rehashing it with other people is also a way that causes unnecessary suffering. Now, maybe to say it to someone close to you or a therapist, that's one thing. But to keep talking about it, definitely causes unnecessary suffering because it's not going to alleviate, it's not going to change your adult child's mind to talk to you. And it usually just makes you feel worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so a kind of outer directed uh, ruminating, I guess would be a way to phrase it. This is a, a an interesting point you make because I can reflect on a number of interactions I've had with people who they just you know, they, they come over as very needy. So I'm not talking about patients. 
I'm talking about colleagues at work, you know, associates that, 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 that uh, I have in my life. And they have a problem and they just whinge on and on and on about it. And, you know, I've run out of compassion for these people. You know, is that my fault or is the fact or is it that they've or are they engaging in unnecessary suffering? Because another the, the counter argument of what you've just said is that talking about something, talking about an issue is good for is good for the soul. It reduces emotional distress. It allows you better to cope. So at what point does an appropriate talking about a situation become something that's inappropriate, if at all? And then the answer to that question will hopefully then inform your answer to my second question is, am I being inappropriate when I run out of compassion for these people who just, in my mind, just whinge constantly? Oh, I like that word, whinge. <laughs> I guess we would call it complaining. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it's interesting because I was just talking with a colleague the other day about how um, a dear friend of mine, I feel like that's all she does. And I'm not quite sure how I should respond. I mean, I have some ways, but here's some suggestions. One is um, the first thing, because I know, uh, you know, I'm a fix, I like to fix it. And so I, I slow down and say, ask, do you want feedback? A lot of people don't want feedback. They just want to win. They just want to whine. So instead of wasting your breath, that's one way you could be less exasperated or frustrated with these folks is ask if they want feedback. And a lot of times they don't. And then instead of suggest, let's say they do want feedback to ask, well, what have you tried so far? So again, putting the problem back on them or the solution back on them instead of, I think, as therapists or doctors, we usually think we have to solve it, and we don't. And another um, tool is to, you know, again, redirect it back to them. And then the distraction. So you go so far, five minutes, 10 minutes, and you know what? I have to get back to a patient, or I have to go do my notes, or... I'm sorry, I can't uh, talk right now. So it's kind of having an end point. Um, you know, That's sorry, I can't very speak. difficult. It is very difficult. But it really helps. Even if you don't have any of the above, just pretend like you do. And, you know, you're in the field, so they would, uh, I think, respect that. But it's very challenging. It's really challenging. I'm, and so, again, I think, you know, depending on the relationship, if they're closer then you know, to kind of just be gentle and um, reflect back to them. Oh, or no, before you reflect, ask if they want feedback. And so how then, do you, let, let's say someone says, yes, I do want feedback. And then how do you reflect back to say, you're whinging, I run out of compassion for you, give me space. Okay. How would you actually say that to someone? Um, let's say, I, you know, let's go back to the adult child. Um, it sounds like you're in a lot of pain. Uh, sounds like you're you're very close to this your adult child your son or daughter. Yeah. Um, it sounds really challenging, so I'd keep it minimal. I wouldn't go into real depth, um, and I wouldn't necessarily. Let's say you've had a similar issue. I wouldn't go into it because then they'll go, oh yeah, and then this is what happened. So you don't want to 
have commiseration on commiseration on, you know, you don't want to do that route. So even if let's say it's happened to you, your son's not talking to you, Mm -hmm. you're just kind of leave that to yourself because then you're just going to say, yeah. And it's like, what do you do? How do you feel? Or, you know, so you don't want to extend it in that regard. Want to keep it short. Um, So I, I love your action. You know, when you said commiseration upon commiseration upon commiseration, I just it made me realize what commiseration actually means. It means co-misery. Yeah. You don't want the co-misery of commiseration, yeah. which then brings me to the idea of the word condolence. Condolence is actually, I suppose, another way of saying it. Con means with and dolence means suffering. You know, dolor is pain and suffering. So condolence, we, you know, when we express our condolences, we are commiserating with someone. When actually in this situation, you don't really want to get into that cycle of co-misery. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't. Either as a professional yeah. or as a friend. Um, yeah. You don't want to commiserate exactly because that could add to their suffering and add to, you know, stretching out this to yours. conversation. Yeah. yeah. So as, when, as I was listening to you, I was, I was reflecting on a number of ideas that I wanted to share with you. So, the idea, well, first of all, I was thinking, imagine imagine how a grief counselor is expe- is expected to work. You know, I, I, I work in, uh, in a pain clinic for some of my time, and a lot of people with chronic pain, when they go and see a pain psychologist, they almost feel as if the psychologist is going to talk them out of their pain. And a psychologist once said to me, it's a bit like grief counseling, you know, you know no one when they see a grief counselor expects that, that psychologist to resurrect their beloved. It's the same with pain, which then brings me to the role of psychology in general. And I, I conceptualize the role of psychology. The first duty, I think, of psychology, well, actually, <laughs> this is an interesting question. Is the first duty of psychology to reduce emotional distress? Because the guy that invented CBT, whose name sadly escapes me right now, Aaron Beck. Uh, yes, yeah, right? would, 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 would Beck say that the first role of psychology is the alleviation of suffering or the alleviation of distress? What do you think to that? Um, I think that it, I would say that's more secondary. I think the first line of um, offering help or treatment is to listen, to be compassionate, to, you know, what uh, Dr. Linehan talks about, um, accepting, acceptance. It's like you said, you can't, you're not going to tell someone whose husband died just to, you know, he's going to resurrect. No. And the same with the pain. The first have them focus on acceptance of their pain which is a hard one because, again, we, we like to fix things. But a, a lot of clients, I think, like it when we accept or, or work with them on accepting something, you know. So how do you do that? So let's, say I've got, let, let's say I've got pain, emotional pain, physical pain, whatever. Mm-hmm. How do you help a client accept pain? Because you, you say you never knew how to avoid suffering or unnecessary suffering. I don't know how to help people to accept pain. So the first step for Gala, what I would take is first have them say in a little bit more detail about the pain. Okay, so I feel at my shoulder. Well, how does it express or how do you experience it? So get a little bit more detail and then have them do 
a mindfulness meditation on closing their eyes and focusing on that part of their body and to tell themselves, I accept you exactly as you are. So they're telling the pain that, but vicariously they're telling themselves that because most people do not accept themselves as they are. And that causes emotional suffering. And, uh, you know, maybe physical suffering too, but through this meditation, you're, you're asking about acceptance to accept that right now you have this pain and to hopefully, you know, research has shown by accepting the pain, it's, um, like an oxymoron, it helps lessen the pain instead of fighting against it. So kind of going back to the example of the emotional pain, you know, the parent that works on accepting the pain, like right now, they just don't want to talk to me, is going to, you know, eventually have less pain than the parent who just can't accept it. And that's kind of like with physical pain, uh, to work with them on acceptance. Um, So, Again, doing a a mindful meditation, also practicing, just saying, I accept my pain and my wherever it is. Um, I accept you as you are. Mm. Um, I'm not going to. So really, we're coming coming back full circle, aren't we, to the original point where pain is inevitable, Mm -hmm. but suffering is optional Mm -hmm. and acceptance is the key to that. So unfortunately, we're run out of time uh, for this episode. But Laura, I really want to thank you for your wisdom and expertise. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for God. Thank you for having me. That's all for today, folks. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been Cracking Addiction. Mm-hmm.